back to another special episode of the Epic Experiment Podcast. I'm your host, Bruce. It's episode 128, and I'm joined on the line, not by Lux. Lux is not here tonight. Lux um, is going to have to uh, talk to the internet company while keeping the lights on in his place. So I'm joined on the line once again by my brother, George. How are you tonight, George? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on. Well, always happy to have you on to talk magic and talk commander with you. Um, we had uh, a good talk just a moment ago about uh, some vintage cube. Um, that's only that's up for another couple more days, isn't it? Before it comes down, right? Yeah, I think eight more days. It comes off next week, twenty fifth. Oh, a week of that! Wow. So, folks, I'm just going to be honest. If you're looking for something fun to do and you're tired of constructed formats, go and try out the vintage cube. I know MTGO is kind of a little heinous to work with as far as like uh, platforms with which to use. But Vintage Cube is a ton of fun, isn't it, George? Oh, it's a blast. I've I've been enjoying it. I've drafted more in the last uh, few weeks than I have in a while. Um, yeah, really enjoying it. I don't mind. MTGO has its uh, its ups and downs in terms of the program, but you know, I, I recognize the graphics are not great, and but it is a very um, true to magic experience, and um, and once you get used to it, it's really not too bad. Agreed. Having played it enough on my own. Um... Now, as someone who is a little loath to to dive back into it at this point after having been spoiled with Arena, I'm not quite convinced I'm I'm prepared to do that yet. Um, I'll have to cut my teeth on other uh, cube formats. I believe uh, I like the Arena cube on um, on Arena. I think that I had a good fun with that over the holidays, and would dearly love to see it return sooner rather than later again. But it'll come back. Like it's just a matter of when more than anything. But uh, no, I really enjoyed it. Cubes, folks, are always good fun. So uh, it's one of those things that I think if someone assembles one out of their cards, or you find one on you know Arena or or MTGO, it's always worth the time to go explore it and have some fun and see what sort of shenanigans you get up to because uh, it, they are a ton of fun and it's a really great way to enjoy uh, playing Magic without having the I guess what the word I'm looking for is like pressures or or, or constraints imposed by uh, constructive formats. So it's always a good time. Always a good time. Now sure. I I gotta ask, did you did you catch any of the football games on the weekend? Because I was I was watching uh, sort of with in with bated breath uh, on Sunday to see if uh, the Bills were going to get beat by those by those Dolphins. I have to be honest with you, I did not catch it. I have. Um... Not really watched much football since having kids. I used to be, you know, Sunday was devoted to entirely that. And um, since having kids now four years ago, by the time I've had three kids, I really don't have the TV much on during the day. I can maybe watch the late nighter, uh, but that's about as far as I would get. Um, so I didn't yeah. catch as much of it. No. I, I, I'll be honest. I catch, I, on my end, I catch the, uh, the, the condensed versions like on YouTube or whatever platform you're on where the game is condensed into 15 minutes because I don't have four hours to watch a football game. Um, and nor do I have the patience to, to, to sit there through four hours of, of football. But to catch it in 15 minutes time, I think I can, I, I can do that. But definitely watching the Buffalo Bills highlights versus the Dolphins, it was, I can imagine it would have been a pretty white-knuckled affair if you were a, a Bills fan holding on for dear life, hoping to goodness that your boys didn't manage to find a way to lose. So, uh, congrats to the Bills. I believe they're, uh, they're off to, maybe they're facing KC next weekend, I think. But anyway, it's going to be, uh, it's going to be a, another busy weekend of football. 
uh, for the next couple of weeks as we lead up to uh, up to the, the big game. I don't know if I can say the name of the. I guess I can say Super Bowl, right? I mean, no one cares on this podcast. I'm not promoting it anyway. That's a known entity. I think you're just saying it is a game. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's out there. People are aware of it. Fair enough. All right. Okay, let's get down to business. We've got lots to cover tonight, folks. Um, as always, if you like what you hear, you can always check out all of our back episodes at thelotuscouncil.com. Lotuscouncil.com has been gracious enough to be our host for, wow, coming up on three years now. Um, and so you can find a lot of great stuff over there, too. Um, so come on out. Check thelotuscouncil.com. Uh, get into their Discord. The link will be in our show notes. And there's a, a lively community there including uh, some box breaks. So I know this weekend there is going to be a box break for some Dominaria Remastered goodies. So uh, if you like box breaks and checking them out on Twitch, uh, I think it's kind of a fun way of supporting your, your local community or whatever that is you're choosing to do. So come and check it out. Come and see for yourself. Um, and uh, I think you'll be pleasantly surprised about all the fun things that you can find at thelotuscouncil.com. Okay, tonight, George, we're going to have three segments. We're going to have a little bit of Garbage or Great, which I think will be pretty slam dunkish, um, followed by um, uh, some previews where we're going to have... Uh, we're going to talk about the previews from Frexia All Will Be One. Uh, they're all up on Scryfall, so I just figure we're just going to go ahead and talk about them at this point. I know, I guess, technically the previews start like tomorrow or something, but uh, I figure we're just going to... Dive right in. Fair? That sounds excellent. And then last but not least, if we get we get time, obviously, if, if, if we're starting to run long, we can save this week's deck for next week and we can cover um, the deck another time. So, we'll play that one by ear. But uh, let's start off with our Garbage Great. Tonight's Garbage or Great is Phyrexian Tower, which is, um, I have to say, is a pretty iconic card that most people have no one heard of. So it is a uh, legendary land out of Urza's Saga. Uh, it has tap, add a colorless mana, or you can tap, sacrifice a creature, and add black, black. So, simply put, George, is this garbage or is this great? Well, given that it's a $20 card, I would venture to guess that it's probably on the great end of things for the right deck. Uh, it's certainly not a card that you're going to fit into every deck, but any deck that has an interest in putting its own things in the graveyard for either you know incremental value on your end or recursion, or whether that be to punish your opponent in some way like, um, say, a Grave Pack effect or something like that, then um, it would be obviously very good. Um, so yeah, in the right deck, I think it's definitely great. In the wrong deck, don't put it in. <laughs> Yeah, uh, for sure. So, I mean, just looking at the top commanders, it's a lot of mono-black or heavy black-based decks. Um, so, you know, you get your uh, Tevish Zat decks, you're getting your Kakushos, your Yawgmoth. I think Kakusho and this are like pretty much like the sort of like iconic poster child for what to do with a Phyrexian Tower. Because Kakusho plus this is gross. Mm-hmm. So, that's just how it goes. Um, but yeah, so yeah, folks, this card is excellent. It's in 95,000 decks. Heavy mono black decks are love to play it. As George said, like anytime you tap, like you can get sacking sacrifice outlets for your dictative Erebos or your grave packs is good. There's strategies that revolve around sacrificing things like aristocrats 
or Tesa or Tevisat or other black decks. So, like on the whole, like you can't go wrong with this. If you have a deck that's heavy mono black and wants to sack stuff, and let's be real, if you're mono black, you probably want to sack things. This card is probably going to go in your deck. Um, if you're playing like Grixis, like, like pirates, so you probably don't want to sack things. Then maybe this is in the deck is, isn't a card for you, but uh, it it's pretty iconic, pretty recognizable, and is pretty well known as a very potent card um, that it just generates tons of value and you know goodness for any deck looking to sacrifice creatures for their own profit. So uh, thumbs up for me. This card is great, and uh, I wish that I had had a copy or two for some decks. So maybe I should go invest in some. I don't know. How does sacking your own stuff make you feel, Bruce? Oftentimes, I like it. <laughs> I was going to say, I feel like that's really up your alley. Having played enough with you, you like you're a value guy. You really want to eke out every little bit. Yeah, yeah. I feel I, like sacrificing your stuff for value is right up your alley. It 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 pretty well is. I'm I'm a big fan of like sort of like self mill or dredgy style decks, um, which are again also heavily value predicated. Um, self-sacrifice decks are, again, right up my alley. Um, so, like, I have a Zyatora deck, which, you know, like, nothing says, like, makes me giggle more than throwing some, sacrificing some silly thing to fling it at you with Zyatora to make treasures that I can then sacrifice for more goodness. So, yeah, it's just sort of the way I like to play. And um, it means I'm often slower when it comes to, like, like winning at games which is one of the reasons why I, I tend to believe I don't win a lot. I, I tend to not build decks that are explosive. I want to build decks that are value and redundant, um, which means I tend to have, I tend, my fail case tends to be low. Like as in my deck doesn't like often will do stuff and not get me destroyed, but it will rarely uh, be able to pull ahead from the table and close the deal. So, that's sort of how I've come to understand how I play. Uh, I don't know if it's how I'm perceived by others, but that's how I sort of view myself. And so a card like this would like, is like exactly the sort of card that I would want to play. Uh, despite the fact that it's probably not in my best interest to play it all the time. I should probably be looking for something more explosive. Yeah, fair enough. So there we have some garbage are great folks. Frexian tower. I think it's awesome. Go get it. <laughs> so, all right. Phyrexia all will be one previews. We have a bunch of cards that got previewed. Um, some of them were from the leaks. Some of them were from, um, from actual legitimate previews that came out over the weekend. And so I've, since they're all up on Scryfall now, you can go and see them. I figure if they're up on Scryfall, it's probably legit for us to talk about them. Um, uh, I don't know how your personal feeling of them on there, George, if there are leaks or whatnot, but uh, I feel like we've waited long enough and it's probably fair game at this point. Um, you know, the truth of my feelings of leaks is that, I mean, people complain about it, and I understand Wizards has a plan to release this all at a scheduled time, but they seem to always manage to get it messed up somehow or another, like somebody gets their hands on it. So until the powers that be want to control the the system better like i'm just willing to accept that they're just a fact of it and i i don't i'm not for them or against them i just think they're a thing and 
I don't really pay much attention to the whole set's released anyways, but at the same time, I don't really care that there's leaks beforehand. Yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. All right, let's get on to work. There's lots of, lots of new things to talk about here. All right, first one first. We have the Eternal Wanderer. Um, so our Emperor is back. Four white white for a planeswalker, legendary creature, whatever, all this stuff. Um, five loyalty. No, And its static ability says no more than one creature can attack Eternal Wanderer each combat. Plus one. Exile up to one target artifact or creature. Return that card to the battlefield under its owner's control at the beginning of that player's next end step. Zero. Create a two white white, two two white samurai creature token with double strike. That's strong. Okay. Minus four. Each player choose a creature. Sorry. For each player, choose a creature that player controls. Each player sacrifices all creatures they control, not chosen this way. Um, uh, George, I think this is very powerful. Uh, yeah, yeah, I think so. I, I'm actually, uh, I recognize six mana walkers or six mana walkers, um, but there's some really unique things about this card that. I mean, the idea that it's ultimate is very board impacting, um, especially, you know, you're behind. You're all at parity as soon as you've resolved this and dropped that that ultimate. Now, I recognize that who knows how the creatures stack up, you know, 1v1, but you're still better off if you're getting overrun. If you don't, if you're not getting overrun and you just have one threat, well, you can blink it and it doesn't come back next turn until um yeah. till the the opponent's end step. So that's a very weird timing of that. I don't know if I've I recall a mechanic that had that timing before. And then that yeah. creature, I mean, I understand you could argue what the best type of creature to produce is from a from a walker, but at a zero mana, it's not a negative, it's a zero. Yeah. Uh to make a two-two double strike. I recognize there's no evasion, but that is a tussler, man. That thing can brawl. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and, and the fact that the static on it says that oh, yeah. the eternal wanderer the eternal wanderer can only attack by a single creature. So if you can if you do this poop a two two onto the battlefield, now your opponent you at least have something to throw in the way of of, of an attacker. And you know, so I mean I imagining the 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 way this gets played is you're probably minusing four wiping the table because you're gonna keep your best creature. They're gonna keep their worst creatures and then the next time, hopefully you get to untap with this because presumably they, they're they're going to have to either use removal on this, which they may not have something that targets their planeswalker, or their creatures are going to be in a position where they're not able to attack you profitably uh, because you have a blocker back and they may have something diddly in front of them and they can only attack with a single thing. Then you can start either blinking stuff or putting extra bodies on the battlefield to start making to start leveraging this this feels really strong like and i i'm gonna as much as i crapped all over uh elish norn the other week this card plays and and curves into elish like with elish norn ridiculously because you can blink that thing for value and elish norn is going to see it and you're going to double it up and then it's going to be like elish norn plus panharmonicon plus this which is four, five, six on your curve. I don't know what you're blinking, but it doesn't matter. It's gonna go. It's gonna be stupid time. Yeah. No, this is very, very, very powerful. 
So, yeah, this is a good card. Like, this reminds, like, this is, like, six mana walkers have a big, like, threshold to step over in order for them to get played in Commander. I think this has done it. I think this has done enough where people are going to play this kind of in the oh. same vein of playing Elsbeth Sun's Champion. People would play a six mana wipe the board. Yeah. So, like, I mean, I don't get me wrong. Like, wipe the board with a bit of upside. Um, for six mana, people would do that, for sure. Yeah. So, you've already, alone, you've done that, and now you're, the rest is just gravy, which Absolutely. is pretty damn good gravy. Absolutely. Very tasty. Uh, yeah, I like that. I'm a big fan. All right, mm-hmm. up next. Want to read this one? Sure. So, uh, Kemba, Ka, Enduring, um... Is a white white card that's a one generic, one white for a two two legendary cat cleric. Whenever Kemba Ka Enduring or another cat enters the battlefield under your control, attach up to one target equipment you control to that creature. Equip creatures you control get plus one plus one, and then for five mana you can poop out two two white cat tokens. Um, I mean, there's a t- cat tribal. I, I think. If you're playing a cat tribal or some sort of you know white red equipment style deck, maybe this has a place in that. But certainly a cat deck, there's a known cat deck out there with mm. that's equipment focused that slots pretty well nicely in. Yeah. I love the fact that it's it's baseline. You know, two mana two twos are, are reasonable with with good upside. Um, yeah, yeah. The the idea that late late game it's a mana sink. Yeah, it's it's reasonable. I don't think it's a house, but it's it's not bad. No, I don't think it's a house, and I definitely don't think people are going to be. I mean, if I I mean, I own the cat deck. I have a cat deck. I so when I loan out pretty readily because it's kind of like it's on training wheels. So you give it to a new player, they understand what to do with it pretty intuitively. Cast cats, suit them up, smash face. Emba leans right into that, so uh, it's 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 going to go. It's going to be part of that deck pretty easily. I have a hard time imagining this is going to create a new architecture or, or a new style of equipment decks in white. I don't think so. I don't think uh, there's enough all, all white creatures that warrant making a white cat deck. The cleric subtype is interesting because there is like black white clericy periodically that people get into that that mm-hmm. might be something people want to try and explore. But again, Kemba is a complimentary piece to that. It's a, I think it's an interesting card and has a surprisingly number different of a- avenues that it can be used in um, to, to, to exploit for different reasons. So I think the card's, like you said, it's going to be pretty good. I'm not, you know, crazy over the moon for it, but I think the card is interesting and uh, probably is going to get more play than I think. Mm-hmm. All right. Geth, Thane of Contracts. Uh, so, one black black for legendary creature Phyrexian Zombie. Uh, Geth is a 3-4, and it says oh. other creatures you control get minus one, minus one. And then one black black tap, return target creature card from your graveyard to the battlefield. It gains if this creature would leave the battlefield, exile it instead of putting it else anywhere else. Activate only as a sorcery. Okay, so Geth is back. Um, what do you think? Um, so I want to play this card. I don't know if it's, I'm not, I think it, it could be good. I think the idea of dumping stuff in your yard and being able to bring it back, um, is appealing to me. Um, I like 
the idea of three mana bring something fat in. Um, is it good? I mean, it's slow. It's a bit mana intensive, realistically. It's probably more like a pet card range for me than actually that good. But but I mean, I can see it being that this is a powerful ability. Oh, I, I the the, the abil- I think you're playing this for the ability. Um, I don't know how slow it really is. Um, so often, like I imagine this as being a complimentary piece, a black green self mill deck. That's again. You see immediately where my brain goes to this. Because this being a really nice complimentary piece and that sort of deck. And often those decks are looking to reanimate stuff. Um, and while you can get things like Persist and Animate Dead and Dance of the Dead to reanimate those big targets, sometimes, you know, you mill those over and you can't get them back for, for a while because you don't have the, the, redu- the redundancy in your hand to go and get those pieces back. This gives you like gives you built-in redundancy that you could go and hit and go and pull whatever it is you need out of your yard and put it to use. So I, I kind of like it in that way. I, I agree with you. Like I, It's probably more pet card than game-breaking card, but I, I like it. I like Geth. I think Geth's pretty fun. Uh, I think people are going to enjoy playing it in reanimator decks uh, of all stripes, um, whether it's mono-black or blue black or blue or black green like i think you're going to be into this so i'm pretty okay with with guess oh yeah so i the only part for me that like you say is slow is the untap or sorry yeah the, the tapping feature to it is the i mean the turn it comes into play you can't use it and a, a whole turn cycle feels like an eternity in a game well when everyone sees your graveyard yeah yeah, yeah they are like so, you would need to find some way to try. If you're gonna play this, run this out there. You'd probably want to disguise that your next turn is gonna be like mill, mill, find the big thing, and activate Geth. Because, but you know, I don't know. Like, I I do like that they made it as a sorcery, so you're not any of those like Eldrazi or yeah. you know, you can't just flash out of the yard, um, dump there quick. That's I mean, it's good. I think it's a fair card. I think it's gonna be the right fit for reanimator decks for sure. Um, yeah. And I definitely look forward to playing it for sure. <laughs> Me too. Me too. I'm, I'm looking forward to guess. All right. William, next we have Vraska Betrayal Sting, George. What does this one do? So she is a um, six mana Planeswalker, I guess four generic black and then a Phyrexian black uh, for a six mana Planeswalker. And this is the completed um yeah. Ability. So if you pay the Phyrexian, you come in with one less loyalty. Uh, two fewer um, zero... encounters in this one. Sorry, my apologies. It's two, yeah, for the amount of life. But yeah, yeah. anyways. Um, so, yeah, so you pay the life, you get two less. So she comes in at four. It's not, still not too bad. Uh, the zero is you draw a card and you lose one life and you proliferate, which is essentially akin to a plus one. And then some other tokens if you can make, if you got them out there. Um, the minus two is target creature becomes a treasure artifact with sacrifice for uh, one man of any color and it loses all of their card types and abilities, which I think is going to be very powerful. Yeah. Um, and then the minus nine is um, target player has fewer than nine poison counters. They get a number of poison counters equal to the difference. So, I mean. I think this is um, this is going to be 
good. I think it's um, it does have the ability. I mean, in a commander game, I don't know that it'll stick around very long. With the idea that you can neutralize one big threat right off the bat and turning it into uh, a treasure isn't um, too bad. The zero can be definitely uh, abused in the right deck. Mm-hmm. Like if you've already got poison counters going, which certainly this is uh, asking you to do that. Um, if you've got poison counters going, this will, will go naturally to it, or like a Hapatra minus one, minus one counter deck. Yeah. Um, so that will definitely be a useful ability. Um, uh, yeah, so yeah, I think it's good. I mean, this is not as, I don't think as strong as our last Planeswalker we reviewed. No, I... Um, but, but, yeah. but she's good. Yeah, I, so I know on other podcasts there have been people who have been excited for this for Pioneer or other such formats. I think in the context of Commander, this, like, the minus nine is not overly applicable. Um, even Because imagine in a four-person game, you give some guy, some guy nine poison counters. Even if you can poison them out of the game... You still have to contend with two other dudes, and they're probably none too happy that you that, that this card is still on the battlefield. So, like the second opportunity to activate this is essentially not non-existent. Um, so you're really relying on this as the zero and the minus two, and like you said, both of those are strong abilities. Um, the minus two protects itself by whacking something big, uh, or if you need it, you can ramp with it. I mean, if you were really jammed, you could kill your thing and get a treasure token, right? Like that's totally reasonable. Uh, and then mm-hmm. the, uh, the zero, like, I think we forget how impactful proliferation can be. Um, so, you know, when inexorable tide goes crazy or you can, your proliferate triggers start going wild because of you, you've cast, you know, whatever other thing going on, like, you can do a lot of damage, or do a lot of a lot, accrue a lot of value with that proliferate cards, or proliferate abilities. So, I know it doesn't look like much on that terrace. Maybe almost like a throwaway throwaway line of text. I don't think that's throwaway line of text at all. I think it's really really potent. So, yeah, I, I mean, I like Vraska too. I like the I like the Elizabeth. Uh, sorry, not the Elizabeth. The Eternal Wanderer better better than this. But this is a uh, fine card people will play it and have fun with it and uh at the end of the day really that's what matters yeah i feel like you know it tells you what you want to do with it you want to put in a deck full of other proliferate things then maybe that minus nine factors in yeah. but yeah i agree um all right let's move on we have azuri stalker of spheres so azuri stalker of spheres is two green blue for legendary creature phyrexian elf warrior so this will be the third such time we've seen azuri so we've seen Az- Mono Green Azuri, which is before he was completed by the Phyrexians. And then there is an Azuri Claw Progress deck that came out the year that they had uh, experience counters. And now we have yet another version of Azuri. Azuri is a 3 3 uh, legendary creature Phyrexian Elf Warrior. When Azuri Stalker of Spheres enters the battlefield, you may pay 3. If you do, proliferate twice. Whenever you proliferate, you draw a card. Um, I'm not sure what 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 to think of this guy because, I mean, spending seven mana for this card to get the double proliferation, like seven mana for a three three draw two cards, is that worth it? Well, that would really depend on what you're proliferating. Yeah, yeah. So it's a very, 
I, th I feel like the delta on what could, like the floor and the ceiling with this is humongous. Yes, the. I mean, so I almost view that as like a, I don't have anything to do with my my mana. I want to sink seven mana into a three three, yeah. and I better hope there's something like. So it really is going to depend on how you build your deck. I think if you build your deck where you've got tokens flying around all over the place, it's already looking to proliferate anyways. Then you can play this card. If you aren't wanting to proliferate naturally in your deck, this is not a card you put in your deck. Yeah, um, yeah I agree. And I mean, it very to my mind, it goes very easily into the other Azuri deck. Um, mm -hmm. the Azuri Claw Progress deck, because that one is fooling around with plus one plus one counters. And I think if you don't have a Thrumming Bird in your deck, you shouldn't put this in your deck. Thrumming Bird and this are best friends. That's what I mean. Yeah. Like, if you don't have it, though, if, you, if your deck doesn't want to run Thrumming Bird, you don't want to yeah, run this. Yeah, no, for sure. Like that's, yeah, that's kind of like the, the, the Canary and the Coal Mine. Like, if, if, you, if you've decided that you're going to cut Thrumming Bird, you should cut Azuri, because you, you're not doing it. You're not doing the Proliferate thing the right way. Yeah. Um, yeah. Anyway, I think it's a cool card. Um, so, I did too. Um, it's like, like I can imagine this going with like Rolesk, which was the green myth, blue green mythic from War of the Spark. This is like a four or five flyer. When it dies, it proliferates twice. You get this sort of thing. You get Thrumming Bird. You get, you get, you get. You, there's some tools now for to really make a really, um, I think particularly potent, mimic style proliferation deck. That unfortunately is also going to lean into a lot of poison, um, and I say I say unfortunately because I'm not a big fan of the poison. Uh, in fact, toxic mechanic. I think it's kind of it doesn't play well in multiplayer formats where um, it like the ten poison counters to me to my thinking made sense when you're playing sixty card constructed because it's half your life total. So. You're having to work hard, but you're getting the benefit is going to be that your ha life total is halved. To my way of thinking, in commander and 40, po 40 life points starting games, you should be getting at least 15, having 15 poison counters because like there's a disproportionate amount of damage being done by infect creatures or creatures with toxic or poison that you know, honestly. I think kind of is a negative experience for the game. That's just my view on it. So I'm not a big fan of that mechanic. So, but this is going to play right into your blighted agents and your whatever the green one drop is that does it too. Um, that in fact decks we're running around with. Listener elf, yeah. So anyway, that's my that's my thoughts on on this sort of deck. But it's going to be a high. I feel it's going to be like a high poison component to it, as well as a lot of other counters to go along with it too. Yeah, I feel like in fact as a polarizing mechanic, like I have an, a deck that's based around it, but it doesn't win because it's not powered. It can be powered up more, and um, you you you, but you probably end up knocking it unless you like triumph for the horse people and like bum rush them out of the game. Most of the time, the play pattern is you load somebody up full of poison counters and you kill them, and then the other two just massacre you uh, because they realize that yeah. you're playing a different game yeah. than they are. Yeah, and you're playing with tw and 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 you're really only playing to twenty instead of eighty. Mm -hmm. So they want you dead now because you're like, well, yeah. Um, now let's have a look at the 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 oracle uh, not the oracle text the um, flavor text. 
Ah, oh, my old friends, have you decided at last to stop clinging to the past and join me in the grand pursuit of perfection? Said like a true Phyrexian, I suppose. Okay, up next, who do we have? So we have Glissa, Sunslayer. So um, I'm going to tell you that I like anything with Glissa in the name. I just <laughs> yes. I, I, I gravitate towards it. But anyways, so it's a um, gold green black card so generic mana one generic green and black so three mana total for a three three legendary creature phyrexian zombie elf she has uh first strike and death touch which is a fun combination and then uh whenever glissa's sun slayer deals combat damage to a player choose one now you draw a card and lose one life Destroy target enchantment or remove up to three counters from target permanent. Um, so for a three mana three three first strike death touch is a pain in the ass. Sorry, I shouldn't swear. Um, a pain in the butt. Um, but I think the other thing is that this is a fun, interesting little like political game. So somebody has a really annoying enchantment. You could say, "Would you mind if I get a hit on you? It's only three damage. It's really not too bad. There's no like, there's no poison. There's no nothing." Uh, but I'm going to hit Buddy Bob's enchantment over there, or I'm going to make sure his Planeswalker does an ultimate, or I'm going to, you know, I just need to get a little value card. I need to, you know, draw out of my mana, my mana uh, situation. Can you, can you just, you know, let me, let me punch this one through there? And and I, I can see some interesting conversations happening at the table as a result of this. Yeah, no, I, I hadn't, I hadn't considered this from the standpoint of, um, of the political aspect of it because I think that's going to be kind of interesting. Um, because you're right. Like I think there is going to be negotiation there. So, you know, and and the audience, if you hadn't conceived of it, imagine someone's got I don't know, smothering tide on the battlefield, and everyone knows smothering tide needs to go. Well, I can't attack George because George's going to protect himself so he doesn't die, so he doesn't have his smothering tide get blown up. But Dave is and, and I look at each other and I go, hey, I don't that smothering tide is going to be a problem here. Because George is going to run away with the amount of treasure he makes. Let's do something about that. Glissa can solve that problem for you. So I kind of like, I like the flexibility to it. Uh, and you're absolutely right. First Strike and Death Touch, we don't see that very frequently on creatures. And when it appears, good grief, is it a miserable card to block? Just the most miserable thing on the planet. Um, because. What other cards have I seen? Like Master of Cruelties. I'm trying to think of other cards with First Strike and Death Touch, but yeah, but I haven't seen some with power that are powered beyond one. So Glissa, Glissa is the only one I can think of that has First Strike and Death Touch. Uh, anything greater than uh, a one. I'm sure we're probably yeah, yeah. wrong. I'm sure we're probably wrong, yeah. but <laughs> but I think they recognize just how miserable that is that is to deal with. In you're putting four blockers in front of yeah, it to kill it. Four blockers. And all of them have to be bigger than three yeah. three power. That's just miserable. And so, like, so this, if you want this dead, this has to eat a removal spell because you're just not, you're just not entertaining blocking it because it's so obnoxious. So, mm. you know, the only other option is you have a creature with protection or, or, um, or indestructibility. Like, and like, who ha- how many of those are kicking around the battlefield these days? Not too many. So, anyway. Yeah, um, I like Lissa. I think Lissa's interesting. Um, I don't know. I don't think she spawns her own archetype again either. Like, I know sometimes we look at these decks and we say, well, I don't think she spawns her own archetype. I think she is a very nice complementary piece in lots of black-green decks. Uh, I think she might be extra totally. spicy in, like, 
Glissa themed app where you can like you can play all three Glissas and kill all sorts of things. So I I think any value based green black deck wants us. I mean it's it's not fast. Nope. I'm not saying nope. it's fast. You're not exploding here, but it's a three mana card. It's not too expensive. It's a pain in the butt to tussle with, and so you're going to get things out of it. So it may draw you over the course of a game yep. three cards. Yeah. It may destroy a troublesome enchantment and draw you a couple cards. Or I mean, I think this is just a value play. Yeah. Like it's it's a good value Absolutely. play. It's not game breaking, but it's good. Absolutely no. It's it's just going to be a a fine card that is going to see a lot of play in quite a bunch of decks. All right. Uh, this is me. I think Kaido. Kaido, Dancing Shadow, two black blue for a. Legendary creature Kaido, three loyalty. Kaido has a static that reads, "One, whenever one or more creatures you control deal combat damage to a player, you may return one of them to its owner's hand. If you do, you may activate loyalty abilities of Kaido twice this turn rather than once. So, if, whenever one or more creatures you control deal combat damage to a player, you may return them to your owner's hand. So, like you can like reuse your ninjutsu cards and without it." I, Correct. So you nin so you make your ninja thing unblockable. Oh, you can't really make it unblockable, but it's you can increase the the yeah. evasion. Um, and then get something through, do a point of damage, yeah. blink it back to your hand, and then you draw a card basically at the end, or create an artifact yeah. creature that. So up to one target. So plus one up to one target creature can't attack or block until in your next turn. Zero. Draw a card. Or minus you create a two-two colorless drone artifact creature token with death touch, and when this creature leaves the battlefield, each opponent loses two life, and you gain two life. Um, I kid was fine. I mean, I kind of feel like this goes in some sort of rogue, like a rogues deck or a ninjutsu deck, like uh, Yuriko yeah. or like a fairies deck. Or something where you're going to have a lot of evasive creatures. Kaido is going to slide right in there and be good. Is this... I, I actually don't... I, so, Yuriko, I mean, I think that's where it's designed to yes. go. Um, Yuriko, specifically, um, I wouldn't... I don't think this breaks the, the 99. Not for me, anyways. My, I never struggle. Like, my cards are super evasive. Yeah. They're not getting blocked. My ninjas are going... They're hitting the battlefield. They're getting like I'm managing to get them back to my hand. My heart, my hand is full. I'm usually discarding yeah. cards uh, because Kaido's ability is so good. Or sorry, um, Yuriko's ability yeah. is so good. I, I don't know that this is actually good enough to crack the deck. But, but a rogues deck, you know, I can see there maybe. I don't have a rogues deck, so I'm not sure. But I'm assuming rogues would probably lean on the same sort of things that Kai, that uh, Yuriko does. Yeah, I I mean, having again, I don't. I'm like you. I don't have one built. I'm presuming that it's it would be useful in a rogues build. Let's go have a quick look about um, tribes. Where's rogues? Rogues is probably gonna be way down the list, isn't it? I'm just coming. Kind of Kind of get Humbling. a sense for like what rogue. Oh, it's only it's not that far down the list actually. It's top twenty. So, really? one, uh, you're getting Rilsa Rael Kingpin, which is kind of neat. Sig River Cutthroat, Cradle of Baldur's Gate. I don't know about that one. Zareth San. I feel like that's probably not. Nine Fingers Keen is a rogue. That's like the one that cares about gates. 
Marchesa might be interesting. Not a rogue, but unblockable things. Um, Yuriko, Una, Azov, Etrada. I don't know. E oh, Edric? Oh, why is oh, how is that an Edric? How's that getting in, Edric? But he either didn't do that right. And... Anyway. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm thinking Kaido is fine. Again, I'm like you. I don't think he's going to be game-breaking. I think he's a little tricky to get a lot of value out of. And I think he's prone to what everybody, uh, whatever everybody else, like every other planeswalker enters into, Commander is struggling with, is that it's going to get attacked to pieces. So, like, you're getting, because you're getting four, four mana for a three loyalty creature, you plus one this right away, you get to four, and, like, then it dies to a dragon? Like, I don't know. Like, I feel like... Well, you you plus one the dra on the dragon, so the dragon can't attack it. So it protects yeah, itself that way. I still think it's a little on the fragile end, but, I mean, yeah, we'll still have to see where it goes. I mean, that's the nice part about this. We can see just where it uh, materializes in, in, the, in the format, and maybe maybe it'll show up and be really impactful in some of those rogues decks. So, anyway. All right, we have Kaya, Intangible Slayer, up next. This is you, I think. So she's um, a seven-mana Planeswalker, um, three generic, two white, two black, so seven mana total. For a six-loyalty Planeswalker, she's a Kaya, legendary Kaya. Uh, she is hexproof as a static ability. For a plus two, each opponent loses three life, and you gain three life. For zero, you draw two cards, then each opponent may scry one. And negative three, exile target creature or enchantment. If it wasn't an aura, create a token that's a copy of it, except it's a 1-1 white spirit creature with flying in addition to its other types. I feel like, I, so, I feel like that minus three is probably going to be the most interesting mode on this card. And... I'm wondering if Wizards is envisioning you using it on your stuff. Or I would or think so. Stuff. So, I guess my thought is if it was just destroy, I could imagine using it on my stuff where like my thing hits the yeah. graveyard and then I'm more likely to get it back and I've got two yeah. copies of it now. But now I don't have that. Now I've exiled it, and unless I'm reprocessing it out of the graveyard with some Eldrazi or out of the exile bin with like an Eldrazi, I don't know of many other ways to get that back into my library yeah. or hand. So I'm now lost it, and I've gained a one-one white flying Caught, which spirit, which is probably yeah. a downgrade yeah. realistically. So maybe you are maybe you are uh, intending intended to use it on your opponent's things. But I don't like I don't like giving my yeah. opponents flyers. Uh, I mean, it still, it still has yeah, I mean they're one one flyers. I think if it was just I would if it was a one one flying like yeah. bird that had no ability, I'd be fully on board. I would exile whatever, sure, no problem. I got rid of their <laughs> blight steel. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, sounds good. I mean, I would still take a one one flying blight steel over that, but you know what I mean. Um, yes. But I don't know that, you know, Exile Atraxa, it's like still well, done its thing. Because right? yeah. there's, there's just a lot of creatures that sit out in the battlefield that do the thing. Like, you can't exile the Dranith Magistrate with this because it just, it's still a Dranith Magistrate. 
uh, you, I mean, sure, now it's susceptible to, like, like, illness in the ranks or, or that sort of effect where you can give all tokens minus whatever, minus whatever. But, like, yeah, like, I just don't, yeah, not a huge fan of the minus three. And I think the other two abilities are a little on the weak side. Oh, I mean, the zero is potent. Like, draw two cards. Cool. Yeah. I actually think that um, you're probably just going to be using the zero a whole lot. Yeah. And and hope your opponents recognize, you know, try to try to sell it to your opponents that, oh, it's not going to do anything. It's just, uh, you know, giving you a scry every turn, like a bit of a group hug kind of, you know, but meanwhile, you're drawing two cards. I, I think you have to hope they're idiots. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. I... No, you know, I mean, I'm going to take my scry against your draw, too. Like, come on, man. Um, I don't really like this card. No, I don't like... I think it's too expensive at 7 mana. I don't particularly like... The abilities are okay. Um, but I don't think... At, at 7 mana, you want something that's going to slam the door shut and probably, like, win you the game, right? Like, that's kind of what you need from your 7, your seven mana Planeswalkers. Yes. Well, think of like another seven mana planeswalker, like yeah, Karn. or like. Now I recognize that Karn is, you know, not, but it exiles clean. Yeah. For minus four or yeah. whatever it is. Well. But it has yeah, anyways. I I, 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 I'm like you. I don't like Kaya particularly. I don't think she's particularly exciting. I think we've had we've had better versions of Kaya in their not too recent past. This is just a little bit on the disappointing end, I think. All right, up next we have Nahiri the Unforgiving. So Nahiri has also been completed, so this is another one of our um, our Phyrexian Planeswalkers. So uh, Nahiri the Unforgiving, for so for one red, white, and then a hybrid Phyrexian red or Phyrexian white, uh, you got a legendary creature, Nahi- legendary Planeswalker Nahiri. And she's been completed, so she has that same text. Uh, and if you choose to use the life to pay for the Phyrexian mana, uh, enters with two fewer loyalty counters. And she starts with five. So if you choose to spend uh, three mana and two life, you get a three loyalty Nahiri. So three mana for three li- for three loyalty for three for three three mana value. Not a terrible rate. So as an outset, so her plus one until your next turn, up to one target creature attacks a player. Each combat, if able. I'm not sure why the wording that feels really weird. I'd have to ask a judge. That feels like weird, a weird way to word that. Anyway, uh, plus one, discard a card, then draw a card. So there's a rummage, which was good. Usually, rummaging's usually handy. And then yeah. zero, exile target creature or equipment card with mana value less than Nihiri's loyalty from your graveyard. Create a token that's a copy of it. That token gains haste. Exile at the beginning of your next end step. So zero mana make a dude. Um, yeah, yeah, a dude or an equipment, and it's it's yeah it's pretty powerful. Yeah, I don't know what you can do, but I mean, again, you have to put some serious loyalty on this if you want to get something kind of cracked in half. So, ah. Uh, See, this is always, this one's tricky. I think to uh, really hard to parse, um, and I think it's hard for me because I, I really generally don't like the Boros strategies 
Wizards puts in front of us for Commander. Like, I find, like, red-white equipment themes are not, don't do anything for me. It's not exciting for me. Um, and so we get this Dahiri who's got like, Edward Scissorhand going on here, and I'm not really down. Like, Edward Scissorhand, sorry. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I'm sure that there's probably something powerful. That zero is probably, you, you know, depending on what you can land in your yard, it's probably pretty powerful. Um, yeah. yeah, I don't know. I don't love it, but I'm sure, I'm sure I will see it played in Boros decks and I'm sure it'll be good. Probably, probably better than, I, probably better than I'm giving credit for. I'll probably die. I'll probably, probably die I a think. few times and that's sort of like just given. Like, how do you? How much you want to bet yes. Dave will kill me with it and like just to rub it rub salt in the wound. But it'll mostly be yeah, so, so it'll be yeah, all right. Um, on it. So the reason why that plus one is worded that way, I believe, is because they could have multiple combat oh, phases, right? right so right. Okay. you know, and so um and you're making it attack somebody. I don't know, you know, by the time the person who's attacking has more than one combat, I get the feeling that they were probably wanting to attack anyways, but yeah, I, I don't know. Yeah. I think that's the way it's okay, worded that way. Enough. But all right, we have Luca up next. Yeah, so Luca, let me just flip the scribe open here. Um, my computer is struggling apparently. Welcome to the team. Mine's been struggling all night. If I load it multiple times, is that going to be better? Okay, so Luca bound to ruin is a, another Planeswalker. So he is a five-mana Planeswalker for two generic, red, green, and then that hybrid Phyrexian green, red. Again, so completed, if you pay the life instead of the mana, uh, he enters the battlefield with two fewer loyalty, and his mm -hmm. base loyalty is five, so he'd come in at three if you paid life. His plus one, uh, add red and green uh, mana, one of each, mana pool spend this mana only to cast creature spells or activate abilities of creatures so a ramp mechanic minus one create a three three green phyrexian beast creature token with toxic one in case you wanted to infect somebody um minus four luca deals x damage divided as you choose among any number of target creatures and or planeswalkers where x is the greatest power among creatures you controlled as you activated this ability well, that's an interesting wording too. So that if they burn your thing out while you're this is on the stack, it already has yeah. already looked. It's already checked. Huh. What do you think? I, I've heard. I've, I've been. I've been reading other people like they seem to think there's a lot of comparison between this and Garrick Wildspeaker. It's like the plus one makes a mana. You make a beast, and you do something. Different with the mind, with the with the with the ultimate or the 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 largest ability to you know to the ability here. So I think for me, I think that like, this one really comes down to the first two abilities because I think like Luca deals X damage divided as you choose among any number of target creatures and or planeswalkers, where X is the greatest power on creatures you controlled as you activated this ability. I mean that's contingent on your board state being having something big enough to eat something and uh so i'm not hugely enthused with that although red tends to have more ways than not to create big scary things that do big scary things so that could be relevant but i feel like 
you're making some mana to ramp into your big thing, uh, or your bigger thing, and then, or you're making bodies on the battlefield to, to just get in the way of your opponent. So, I don't mind him. I think he's reasonable. Um, I'm definitely not, I definitely think, like, they've done a good job of creating planeswalkers that are balanced and interesting without, like, making the Phyrexian mana be a huge, hugely frightening component of their, of their identity. So, anyway, that's what I thought. It is fine. Like, I'm not jumping up and down for it. I'm not saying, oh, it's going to enable me to do so many things. It's, yeah, it's fine. Like, it's, it'll get played in your red-green, like, like, what's the name of the, oh, Xenogod deck. Like, that would love this sort of card, where you're going to make something big, you make it huge with Xenogod, then minus four Luka, kill a bunch, kill a bunch of things, um, potentially. But I feel like mostly hinging on the first two abilities. Yeah, I think that's probably right. Um, I, at first I was like curious that, but this, the toxic one on the beast, I'm like, well, if you can make some sort of, you know, red, green and track based deck, is that impactful? I mean, Strictly speaking, it's an upside over the the traditional three three beast, but I mean, I don't know how often you're going to poison somebody out of the game uh, with this alone. Probably never. Yeah. So you have to build around it if you want to really, you know, manhandle that ability and that perk. Yeah. Otherwise, I think I don't really have anything much yeah. different than what you've already said. Just it's fine. It's fine. Um. All right. We have one mm-hmm. last one. We have Malira, the Living Cure. So Malira is. Uh, a green and a white for a legendary creature human scout. She's a 3-3. Three, three. That's a pretty good rate, okay? And if you would get one or more poison counters, instead you get one poison counter, and you can't get additional poison counters this turn. Exile Malira the Living Cure. Choose another target creature or artifact. When it's put into a graveyard this turn, return that card to the battlefield under its owner's control. Um... I would have to be think that I'm getting poisoned out pretty hard by the yep. time I want to put somebody, this in my deck. You have to have somebody in your meta who is like got a is just got a rab for this, like, like, yeah. Triumph of the hordes. You know, buddy's running Triumph of the hordes, and this is sitting there. I, I don't. I think, think I'm right. I think I'm not. I think I. I mean, the poison element doesn't really appeal, and I think we're overstating this. The the the, the requirements for anti-poison stuff if you think this needs to be included in your deck. Now, maybe for the next six months, everyone's going to prove us wrong there, George, and go poison crazy because of all the new poison mechanic stuff that we're going to get. But... Yeah. Oh, sure, then I'll put but, one in my I deck. Mean, no problem. I can't imagine... like if you, Unless you already are into the poison and the infect stuff, you're going to be leaning into it. So the other one, Exile Malira, the Living Cure, choose another target creature or artifact. When it's put into a graveyard this turn, return that card to the battlefield under its owner's control. So it's like that to me has some applicability if you're into like some sort of like almost reanimator strategy. I sort of I don't know like because this board wipe protection is what it is, and so like if you're playing this as a two mana way to pretty much thumb your nose at your opponents. So they can't board wipe effectively because you're good because they know that the Sun Titan or the whatever is coming back immediately and bringing a friend with it. 
maybe they don't wipe the board yet. I don't know. Just yeah, I guess that's the one thing. I was like, what's the difference between this and Selfless Spirit, which is not, um, you know, which is not yes. two yeah. different colors. And the difference is it does actually hit the graveyard and come back, mm. so you get ETBs back. Yeah, but I, I mean, it. And it's not all creatures. Obviously, this is not targeting all creatures. This is just. I mean, I, one I mean, I creature, think but... there could be some like some applicability as as like a board white protection piece. But one thing that like, you start to see as people go, like as power levels of your metas increase, people run fewer board wipes. Right? Or if they do, they're not running Wrath of God. They're running Rift. Yeah. I think as your power level goes up, you drop yeah, this yeah. card. Yeah, what I was saying. So, like, this is like, That's if you're playing you're Battlecruiser Magic and, like, your bane is the, is the Wrath of God, you play Malira. Or maybe you stick it to a tokens deck that is susceptible to. Never mind. Token decks don't work because they all die. <laughs> like. Yeah, no, yeah, it's it just saves so one. You're of them. Saving, and a you're token just hit the graveyard and got But, like, I don't know. Anyway. Yes. It's, 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 it's interesting. I don't think it's going to amount to much, personally. And. We'll, I will be yes, ordering no copies. I will be ordering no copies. If I open one in a pack, I might slide it in the deck. All right. Do you think we have time to go through uh, this week's deck there, George? Well, I mean, I think we have okay. some time. Well, before we go to that, just like, talk about it. Let's, let's, let's have a quick recap. Wait, what do you think so far of Brexia All Will Be One? I think it's got some really cool cards, some really cool mechanics. I mean... I uh I'm looking forward to to playing with some of these cards. I uh I definitely want myself yeah. an Eternal Wanderer. Um Glissa is also uh you know right up there. So yeah, no, I, I'm excited to see some of these cards and, and get a chance to slot them into some of my decks. I don't think you know, I don't think there'll be a ton, but that's okay. I like a few yeah. few gems is all I need. I'll keep, I'm sort I'm sort of in the same happy. Boat. I, I kinda I, I like the like the sort of, I think it's very flavorful, mostly for the for the first part. Like all these cards we've seen are either throwbacks to cards we've seen in the past, like Kemba and Geth, or they're Planeswalkers we're reasonably familiar with, um, um, that are in kind of new takes on them. Um, I'm kind of, I kind of, I'm digging the completed ones because it does feel different than just playing a regular old Planeswalker. So, kind of like it. All right, this week's deck, their audience, is Cyclonus. So, Cyclonus the Saboteur is a one of the Transformers from the Brothers War uh, that came out. So, let us have a read of Cyclonus the Saboteur and his reverse side, too. So, um, Cyclonus the Saboteur is two black-blue for a 2-5 legendary artifact creature robot with flying. Whenever Cyclonus deals combat damage to a player, it connives. Then if Cyclonus's power is 5 or greater, convert it. And so when you convert Cyclonus, you get um, a 5-5 five, five flying living metal vehicle, uh, meaning that because it's living metal on your turn, it doesn't need to be crewed. It's just a creature and can attack. Uh, whenever a Cyclonus deals combat damage to a player, convert it. If you do, there is an additional beginning phase 
after this phase. So, I was reading this, George, and this card I think is pretty neat. Um, the back of Cyclonus that says the Cybertronian Fighter is super interesting because that line that says you get an extra beginning phase is really, really quite interesting, isn't it? Well, anytime you tell me that I can untap my lands midway through my turn, yes. I'm going to be pretty happy about that. Um, so, so, yeah, definitely very interesting. I also think the card art is just very awesome. Like, it throws... I mean, it just so... I love... I love the old Transformers art. I think it's so cool. Uh, yeah, you're, talk- um, you're talking to the guy who's, beautiful got, card. <laughs> who's got now built three of them as commanders for decks, and I'm loving it. Um, so yeah, no, I I mean, I think I think what is really important here, uh, their audience, that we stipulate the beginning phase of your turn is not just an untap or sorry, uh, an upkeep phase. There are cards in the game that give you an additional upkeep phase. Um, that can be really it can be really powerful too but this is a full beginning phase where you untap uh untap your stuff and then you enter your upkeep um so that's really interesting to make uh, to to think about like you untap your stuff that's kind of busted all right um now i took this deck in the direction there of being like to make this budget friendly because like to go and get into like the extra like beginning phase shenanigans, you could very easily like blow a fortune on that deck because it's very easy to go and overspend on powerful things that trigger on upkeep or things that untap your stuff. Anyway, but I thought it'd be interesting to put this into like turn this into like a blue black flyers deck that you're putting things on the battlefield that all fly and looking to make your opponents. Uh, just get smashed in the face by flying things and if you can use cyclonus um as the leader of the armada i think that you're pretty cool because I, do you remember the original movie from 1986 george yes as do i, I own that I movie watch it regularly um i have to admit but um cyclonus is introduced as being the leader of the of of galvatron's new armada and so that's kind of what I decided to do here is like going in for the, the Armada here. So um, most of the creatures in the deck have flying. Um, so, you know, some of the key ones, uh, like Donal, uh, which is a interesting little 3-3 uh, that says, uh, whenever you cast a non-legendary creature spell with flying, you may copy it, except the copy is a 1-1 spirit in addition to its other types. You can get a lot of interesting things that fly that you can then do gross stuff with so things like um like more mole drifters are always good um more siren storm tamers more skyway robbers more thieves of sanity i mean really more thieves of sanity who doesn't want that right um i know is I it so good uh, oscar rubbish reclaimer so that's going to allow you to give access to your spells that you've discarded through um Cyclonus's connive ability. So Oscar lets you go fish in your graveyard for the things that you've already thrown away. So let's have a quick read of Oscar. Uh, so this spell costs one less to cast for each different mana value among cards in your graveyard. And then whenever you discard a non-land card, you may cast it from your graveyard. So that seems kind of fun. So you play into the 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 connive, and you can then cast the thing and 
presumably that's what you're looking to do. Um, Blitzwing, I think, is also pretty interesting because Blitzwing is, uh, as you smash your opponents uh, in the air with flying things, Blitzwing's going to double down on that damage for th and hopefully let you kill the, kill, the, the battle, kill the table pretty quick. And then I think Defiler of Dreams, which is part of the cycle from Dominaria United, I'm pretty sure. Um, yeah, so the green one, Defiler of Strength, Defiler, the green one is bigger. Big, bigger, bigger, bigger. Is like kind of a problem in like st standard right now. But no one's talking about the other four of them. And this Defiler, I think, is the second best one by a pretty wide margin. Because it was got the text where you can spend two life to pay for a blue mana if you're paying for a blue spell. Um, but it has also has the line of text on it. Whenever you cast a blue permanent spell, draw a card. Blue permanence, and then use your... Uh, use it to just draw you more cards. Which I think is kind of handy on what amounts to a pretty reasonable body for five mana. Um, so I think those are sort of mm -hmm. the key sorts of key pieces to your deck um, that, I, you know, if, if you're looking to build this one that you kind of want to include. I think the weirdest card in this deck there, George, is Cybernetica Data, Data Smith, which is out of the one of the um, Warhammer 40k decks. Listen to this one. One blue black for a zero one artifact creature human artificer protection from robots and has a car ability called field reprogramming. A blue and tap target player draws a card, another target player creates a four four colors robot artifact creature token with this creature can't block. So, like, I just think that's kind of like a really interesting ability you can like play the political game and get stuff away. You can use the abilities on yourself to draw a card or put a, or put bodies down in front of you uh, and, and keep the aggression up um, or for sack fodder. Or... How good does that card have to be that you draw before it's worth a 4-4 attacker? How many cards would it have to draw before it's worth a 4-4 attacker? Maybe I'm looking at this wrong way. I'm looking at this as more of like a one-on-one, -on -one, like limited player. Like, what's the value of a card in my hand versus a four-four brawler that can just attack no blocks? I think it's probably worth it because I think. Yeah, four-fours yeah, in commander I don't, like, I guess, go I too far. A four, four I just body in I don't commander know. Often gets outclassed pretty readily, and the fact that this can't block makes their utility of questionable merit right if this could be a 4-4 that would hold the fort and like hold down the ground then this would be like that's that's really good like that's an absurd rate but the fact that this could only be used as a as an offensive tool i think particularly with this can this already has protection from robots on it like you can just you know block their thing for days with a cybernetica data smith now it is a zero one so it dies to a stiff breeze but i mean i think the card is interesting very unique um and i think the, the having to do the, the 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 political figurings out it's like is this the time for where i want the four four um, to build out my board 
to attack or to crew a vehicle or to do whatever else I want to do with it? Or is it now the time where I need to load up my hand and give my 4-4s away to other people and let them point them at each other? Like, those are now things you can tie and goad or, you know, whatever. I, I don't know. But I think it's an interesting card, and I think it's worth including in the deck as something unique and interesting that's going to, I think, going to add a lot to your game state. Because um, imagine, like, you, somebody resolves a Cybernetica Datasmith and starts tapping and untapping it. And giving away four force to different people, and they're drawing cards, and you're like, "This is kind of fun. Like, this is kind of neat, sort of a little ability here." So I kind of like it. Um, I think there's some new cards that are really worth trying out. And new is a bit of a relative term, so I think the Defiler Dreams is well worth exploring. I think the card has a lot of merits in a deck that's got enough blue where you're going to cast plenty of blue permanents. Um, Jacob Hawken is one that I've looked at repeatedly in and Commander and have never really seen a way to utilize it. I think here's an opportunity to go and fool around with uh, with your... with Jacob, um, so that you can... I don't, I don't know what you're going to do with it, but I think it could be pretty neat. Um, Gix's Command, I think, is another new card that I think there's just entirely too much flexibility on this for it to be truly bad. Um, that's just my read on it. I just think there's too many modes and too many things that are like desirable for it to be a truly bad card. Um, and then Donal, we've talked about him where he makes yeah. things that makes as to your air force. And then Skyway Robber. Have you seen this one there, George? Skyway Robber. I think this this card is really neat. Yeah. So three and a blue for a three three with flying bird rogue. As escape for three and a blue, and with exile five other cards from your graveyard. And then Skyway Robber escapes with, whenever Skyway Robber deals combat damage to a player, you may cast an artifact, instant, or sorcery spell from among the cards exile with Skyway Robber without paying its mana cost. Um, like This to me seems really interesting, because you can escape it repeatedly, and build up a large pool of of exile cards that Skyway Robber can cast. And that, to me, is kind of neat. I think it's very neat. I think it's, uh, it's a pretty cool ability. I, I love the idea of getting that value. Um, I I don't know how many people are going to let you hit you with, hit them oh, with you, sure. or hit you with this, but <laughs> Or whatever you mean, you know, but 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 if you do, yeah, yeah, it's pretty no, sweet. Sure. Like you only imagine, like you can, like yeah, you can do a lot of things. And like, and the interesting part is, after you've cast the spell, Skyway Robber doesn't exile the spell. So like you just you cast. Yeah, it. So no, like let's say you ca- you back. you connect, and then you want to cast your Tyrant Scorn again. You know, you can. Like do that, it goes back to your graveyard, sure. and you could potentially, you know, next times, yeah. Or you're like, like time seems, warp, but it's time warp, yeah. You just <laughs> you you took it to a, a different place, I'm, but anyway, yes. Well, I mean, if we're gonna talk ways to be degenerate, True let's enough. just go for but it. Like you can do things like um, siphon insight again. You can go and like get more utilization out of it. Uh, your go for the throats or drown in the locks or all whatever else. Even just yeah. dirtily draw spells. 
Why not? Memory Draw cards for free. You can do that. So I think I think he's like kind of a, like kind of a neat card that people aren't really talking about. I think he's the sort of card that if he shows up on like game nights and like does a little bit of work, he's going to jump from being fifty cents like he is right now. Let me have a quick look at him. He's thirty five cents, and I think some like there'll be a version of him will be five bucks if he shows up on game nights and does some work at some point in the near the next six months. I can see that. I mean, we know that anything that they play with gets uh, automatically <laughs> sure does. bumped in price. Sure so. does. Anyway, but yeah, the next thing about this deck there, folks, like it definitely sits down, has a game plan. Um, it's not overly reliant on your commander. You've got a whole lot of other game plans that you can put into put into action, but all sort of culminating in this idea of like unblockable flying armada of stuff that are going to come to beat you. And so, this deck took us, or took me, like, it was about $110 as, like, the final budget when I was, like, looking at what what to put together for this deck. So, like, $110 bucks is a pretty affordable entry point for lots of people, and there's lots of ways to customize this to make it into your deck um, to be played the way you want to do it. So, yeah, I kind of... Uh... Kind of a, a kind of a neat little brew uh, there to help control the budget and also allow people to enjoy playing their cards. Yeah, yeah I think it's a pretty cool deck. I like value decks. You know, not too expensive, but you know, has absolutely. a plan. Draw some cards. Yeah, you get, but you can absolutely customize this to do something decidedly more heinous. I am very very confident. Oh yeah, yeah. You could tweak this into something, something very yes. uh, oppressive or just offensive, rude. or just rude. <laughs> Both. All right, we're gonna bring yeah. this week's show to a wrap. George, if people wanted to get a hold of you, how would somebody get a hold of you through the internet? I mean, I uh, I am on uh, Twitter at uh, I I have to. I, how often I use Twitter is a good example of uh, it's a G E at G E O gray 88. Um, I I'm on Twitter a lot. I post rarely, mostly because of my work and I feel like making public uh, expressions on social media is something that you have to choose to in my line of field, whether you want to be on that. Uh, but I, but I'm definitely on there and I, I read stuff and I will comment back to some things, but I'm, I have a limited presence. Fair enough. But, uh, yeah, that's probably the best way to reach me if you if you want. Well, yeah, honestly, like I, I work in healthcare, and it's very it's yeah. very like uh, yeah. Anyways, we don't want to go into too many details because you don't want to give away too much personal information as well. So, um, all right, if you want yeah, to reach out to me here on the show, you can always email me at theepicsperimentpodcast at gmail The link is in the show notes, and so you can go find it and click on it and send me mail that you like what I do, or that you can send me hate mail saying that you don't like what I do. Um, I would just be tickled pink to get email from somebody. Um, you can always uh, find us on Twitter as well at, at, at Epic EXP Cast. That's the Twitter show, and you can probably the most direct way to get a ha- handle on me. And yes, I will find it in due course. Uh, we're also on Instagram at the same handle at Epic EXP Cast. If you like our decks, all of our decks are available on Moxfield.com. You can find that on looking up the Epic Experiment Podcast as the user. That's all one word. 
and uh, go and find out all the decks that we, we had for the show. There's something like 150 decks, so there's lots of things to cut your teeth on. Um, where did that go? Oh, there it is. Okay. Um, whether you are listening to us on the LotusCouncil.com's uh you know, uh, app or, or, or playback system, or you, whether you're looking to, to another, uh, podcast application, whether it's Apple, Apple podcasts or Google podcasts or anything else for that matter, Spotify, um, please comment, like, follow, subscribe, uh, every little bit of interaction helps to help get the word out there that we're here. We're talking commander with you. We're trying to keep an eye on your budget and helping you have fun playing with your friends. Um, we'd love to hear from you, so please reach out, let us know that you're out there, and uh, spread the word. Next week, we will undoubtedly be looking at more Phyrexia All Will Be One uh, uh, previews, because they're going to be starting real soon, um, and lots more to talk about in the world of magic. Uh, until then, this is the Epic Experiment Podcast, signing off, wishing you all the best wherever you next play magic. Thanks so much, everybody. Take care. Have a good day.